The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwire.org. We worship the God who was. We worship the God who is. We worship the God who
Good morning, church. In the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, it says, So two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person fails, the other can reach out and help. But, if, but, who, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And then we follow that up in the book of John, chapter 15. It says, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. And this is, the, this is what I'm hitting on today. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for a friend. For you are my friends if you do what I command. So I'm going to show you a picture. So picture is going to come up on the screen. Let me give you a little background over this picture. Okay, this is, this is two Cincinnati Bengals during the conference championship football game of this year. So what does that mean? Well, basically it boils down to this. The winner of this ball game would move on to play in the Super Bowl. And so let me give you what this picture is all about. The man seated is a man named Joseph Osai. He's a second-year linebacker that plays for the Cincinnati Bengals. He's been playing football. Presumably, he's been playing for years since he was little bitty. But as you can see, he's in a bad shape. So what happened if we walk back in this game the teams were tied coming down to the end of the ball game, and the Cincinnati Bengals defense had held the Chiefs, and they were fixing to have to punt and give the ball back to the Chiefs. But the quarterback for the Chiefs ran the football, ran out of bounds, and this man hit him out of bounds. Something that he has grown up knowing not to do since he was probably kindergarten, first, second grade. He knew that. It was probably the worst penalty he's ever committed because here's what happened. The penalty moved the ball close enough that the Chiefs were able to kick a field goal and they won the football game. But that's not, that's not the important part. Here's the important part. Here's, here's where I'm going with. How small, how terrible did that man feel when he made the mistake that wound up costing his football team, his team, his brothers, that win, that chance to go to play in the Super Bowl? How small did he feel? Well, he was made to feel even worse by the numerous reporters that kept hounding on him the numerous, numerous commentators that kept pounding on him, um, he did make a costly mistake. Thousands, if not millions of people watched him make that mistake. They got angry and they walked away. The fans in the stands left him. His teammates walked away. 
His coaches walked away. But that one man stayed. That one man said, you are more important than anything. I am here to help you. That man, leaning over Joseph, helped him stand up, put his shoulders up high, dusted, get him dusted off, get him picked back up and said, I'm here for you. I'm with you. So I want to ask a question. Whose one are you? Who is depending on you? Who is looking at you to help them pick themselves up? To help them take that next step? More than that, who do you depend on? Who's that one person that it doesn't matter what happens, you can always send them a message, hey, I'm struggling. Hey, I need help. And they're right there. Who is that? Those people that we depend on are a visual demonstration of what God does for us. We ask for forgiveness and instantly, bam, it's there. We don't have to have a checklist that we check off. We say, God, forgive me. And he does. This table that we come to this morning is a visual representation of God standing for us, helping us get back up. I want to go back to those verses that I just read. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And this is my commandment. Love each other. In the same way as I have loved you, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for a friend. And you are my friends if you do what I command. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the reminder daily that you stand in the gap for us. Thank you for the reminder daily that you are here. Lord, I pray as we walk through this week, Lord, that we find those people that we can depend on. But we look for the people that are depending on us. We look for those people that, that need a hand, that need a, a shoulder to cry on and need a hand up, that need help getting dusted off and set back on their path. Lord, help us be a visual representation of what you do for us daily. Lord, it's in your son's name we pray. People collect some bizarre things. I mean, lots of things, from rare coins to dolls to baseball cards to guitars to cars. 
lots of people gather up stuff. What are some things that you gather up? What are some collections you have? A weird news story this week sent me running down this rabbit hole and looking at some bizarre collections. Let's start with this first one. A North Carolina dermatologist named Manfred S. Rothstein owns 675 back scratchers from 71 different countries. Or what about this guy? Jean-Francois Vernetti has a collection of hotel do not disturb signs. 11,239 of them. That's weird. From different hotels all across the globe. This next one we had a lot of fun with. Cell phones. Karsten Hughes from Germany. Hughes from Germany, excuse me. 1,563 different cell phones he has collected. So Franklin, I blew it up on here. There's the Razor. There's the StarTac. There's the big brick phone, the Nokia's. How many of you had the bag phone? Anybody still? How many of you still have the bag phone? Um, it works. Wow. Okay. Um, how about this one? Dutch collector Nick Vermeulen has 6,290 airsick bags. Why? Why? Uh, from 1,191 different airlines, almost 200 countries. Bettina Dorfman's Barbie doll collection. She has 6,125 of them. It says it's worth over $150,000. I don't know about that, but what sent me down this is a story that happened this week. If you have followed much anything in the world, Splash Mountain at Disneyland closed down this year. Okay, uh, January in January, Splash Mountain closed down on the 22nd, I think. And people are selling jars of water from Splash Mountain on eBay. 122, 23, these are people that went in and scooped up water, icky, dirty water from, uh, from Splash Mountain Ride, and they are selling it on eBay. Now, here's the kicker. They've already sold over 20 of these things. At five grand each. What's the old uh, fool and his money are soon parted? You're going to pay five grand for dirty water? That's kind of ridiculous. And I think there is a difference between collecting and accumulating. How many of you got one of these drawers? Don't lie. You're in church. You know you all got them. Uh, we, we don't know what's in them. There's a bunch of keys that you don't have a clue what they're to. There's a broken Phillips screwdriver. There's, you know, some old glasses, you know, broken tape measure, some, stuff like that. It's rarely valuable. It accumulates over time. We may not notice it, but it just builds up. And if it's not monitored, it can become an episode of extreme hoarders. True? If we're not careful, it can get somewhere in a hurry. You see, collecting is purposeful. It's intentional. It's gaining knowledge about a subject. But, but accumulation is just stuff we gather along the way. So here's a question. Have you and I become gatherers and collectors and hoarders of grudges? We're in Matthew chapter 6 today in this He Said What series. The shocking statements of Jesus. Now, as I was prepping for this series, and I started digging and writing and scribbling, 
I found they fell in basically two categories. The statements that Jesus said that were really weird, really shocking, they fell in two directions. One direction was they were hard to understand. We talked about one last week about don't go anywhere near the Gentiles. We talked about, you know, uh, how uh, it's easier for a man, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get in heaven. You know, we'll, we'll talk about some of those. Those are, those are what? Hard to understand. But there's a second type. They're very, very easy to understand. They're just hard to do. You tracking with me? Today's is two short verses, and it absolutely falls in the latter category. If you're online, welcome. If you're listening on the radio, welcome to Central Christian Church in Portales. I'm going to read chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, excuse me, from the New Living Translation. If you forgive those who sin against you, your Heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, context is king. What is he saying here? Now, if you look, it's in the middle of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. If you're new to church, the Sermon on the Mount was not in a church. It was not a bunch of white robes with blue sashes. Oh, you know, it wasn't anything like that. There's regular people on a hillside. And he's just a regular guy talking to regular people, dealing with regular problems, getting a job, being oppressed by the Romans, dealing with kids, dealing with drama, dealing with trauma, how we dealt with life. Now, if you zoom out a little bit, look at verse at chapter 5, chapter 6 in this, you're going to see him talking about some issues there. You're going to see him talking about how to pray. You're going to see right above this is the, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Do you recognize that passage? And, and you're going to see teachings on prayer, on vows, on anger, how to be salt and light. The Sermon on the Mount was not Jesus with a pointy finger saying, Here's a bunch of do's and don'ts. Sermon on the Mount is, is character. He is telling you and me the character that we need to be to be a follower of Jesus. It's, a, it's all a discussion and teaching of character. And friends, the choices we make reveal our character, and they reveal if we have His character in us. Make sense? So why do you think we collect or accumulate grudges? And I'm not even asking if we do this. You hear me? I'm, I'm saying we do. A Barna study in 2020, because we were all stuck at home, so they spent a lot of time calling people. They surveyed Christians all over the country. 26% of practicing Christians, that is somebody that attends church two to three times a month, okay? Practicing church, practicing Christians, 26% of those Christians said there is a person in their life they can't forgive. One in four. In June of 2012, Carl Erickson, a 73-year-old South Dakota man, was sentenced to life in prison. 73 years old, sentenced to life in prison. How long is that going to be? Sentenced to life in prison after he admitted to the murder of a former high school classmate. Family and friends were shocked. He was an insurance salesman, fairly... Uh, successful. He'd been married to the same woman for 44 years. What in the world happened? And during the trial, Erickson's secret finally came out. For over 50 years, he had simmered with a grudge. He was still mad about a 
prank that a high school classmate played on him. High school classmate was a guy named Norman Johnson. He was typical quarterback of the team, the big stud athlete. And Erickson was the skinny manager for the football team. And in the trial, he finally confessed, and dealing with the confession, that Erickson said that this quarterback had put a jockstrap on his head and shoved him in a, in a locker and made everybody else laugh at him. For 50 years, he held on to this. Now, Johnson went, went on to continue to outshine him. He, he played football. He went on and played football at college. He was really decorated. He got his degree, came back, and he ta- taught and coached at, at their alma mater. He was, he was revered there. He had taught and coached for over 30 years. And 50 years later, Carl, like Erickson, rang his doorbell, shot him dead. How, how do we get there? Why do we collect grudges? Have you ever held on to one? Don't answer that out loud. How do we hang on to something that long? Why? Well, so I started saying, why do we do this? I think we hold on to grudges and we don't forgive for several reasons. I, I'm, I was scribbling. I'm sure there's a bunch more, but... I think one of the reasons we, we don't forgive is that makes it easy to not have to look at our own trash, our own junk, our own... If I can focus on what they did to me, then I don't have to look in the mirror and see what I'm blowing at. Anybody? Oh, yeah? And, and sometimes staying angry is a way to protect myself. What's the old fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice? You know, If I can stay angry, man, nobody's going to hurt me again. I'm never going to get hurt again. Anybody ever said something like that? Or what if sometimes we just convince ourselves that we are right and we have rights? We hear a lot about justice and getting even. And so somewhere in our brain we think it's okay to stay angry because we've been hurt. Now, just this discussion, just we've been here about seven minutes And I can see some of you are already tense. You don't like this subject. I get it. But does this topic of forgiveness make us want to say, well, yes, Don, but... Anybody? (laughs) Surely there's a loophole to this. Surely there's an out. Surely we've got to do something. But, But Jesus goes all Maria Kondo on your collection of grudges. Anybody Maria Kondo fans? Marie, Marie Kondo, whatever they are, whatever her name. I didn't even find out about her till after the rage was all the rage, and she may not be, even be cool anymore. She's this lady comes on the scene and comes to your house and helps clean out your clutter if it has any emotional va- value to you know get l- rid of it, keep it, say goodbye to it, set it out in the lawn. But she said this in dealing with cleaning your house, to put things in order means to put your past in order. I thought, man, that. That's pretty powerful right there. You see, later on in the book of Matthew, Peter, we all know Peter, he's quick to shoot off his mouth, right? He approaches Jesus in Matthew chapter 18 with a question about his past. And he asks Jesus, and he says, how many times do I have to forgive somebody? Remember this one? How many times do I have to forgive somebody? Is it seven times? And I want you to notice Peter didn't even ask if he should. He wanted to know how much. Because he knew we're supposed to. 
How many times? And, and Jesus responds, depending on your version, either 77 times or 70 times 7. Either one of them is, is okay. And he says, you need to get your past in order. But I wonder if in our Christian minds, we don't see this and go, okay, so is the magic number 78? You know what I'm saying? I want to get right up by the line. What's, what's the line, Jesus? I want to know what I can do and what I can't. I, I, know, I know that's too far, but I, what, is, what is the line? You hearing me? Sometimes we want to hang on. Well, make it okay so that, so that I don't have to. Is it 78? Did, did Peter really think the magic number was 78? You see, like I said earlier, forgiveness is super easy to understand, but it's very hard to do. I mean, I can't forgive Jerry Jones for firing Tom Landry. I mean, I think that's the unforgivable. Uh, it was Black Friday. It was a horrible thing, right? But it's, it's not the same as some of the things you have dealt with. According to statistics this week from the National Center for Victims of Crime, one in five girls and one in 20 boys will be victims of sexual abuse. Nearly three women in ten, 29%, and one of every ten men in the United States have experienced rape, physical violence, and or stalking by a partner. They estimate that 9% of Americans, 13 million Americans, suffer from PTSD. I don't like talking about this, but some in our church family <coughs> have dealt with rape. Some in our church family have been abandoned by a spouse or a parent. We have battered women that have attended here. We have people that have been cheated on, people that have been cheated in business, people, you name it. I do not want you to think, I want you to read these two boxes, easy to understand, very hard to, I don't, I don't want you to think that I think it's easy to do, just, y'all just forgive and let's go home, alright, I don't want it to be like that, I get this is very hard, this is a, a, a staggeringly hard statement, it's a shocking statement, but Jesus gives very little gray area, and when I say very little gray area, zero. He gives zero gray area on this statement. If you don't, I won't. There's no, there's no finding it there. If you go back to that Matthew 18 passage where Peter asks, how many times do I forgive? In that Matthew chapter 18 is Jesus' most definitive teaching on how to deal with conflict. Matthew 18, I've talked about it a lot. We're going to continue. I want us to be a people that live that passage out. If you have conflict with somebody, you go to that person. You don't put them on blast on social media. You don't text them. You don't send them emails. You talk to them face to face. That's how you deal with conflict. If that doesn't work, you go with somebody else. If that doesn't go, you go with There is a step-by-step direction on how to deal with conflict. And it's right after this that Peter says, so how many times do I have to forgive somebody? If I go through all of that, how many times do I have to forgive somebody? And he says, seven times with a question mark. The, 
the rabbinical tradition was three. So Peter's kind of sounding, you know, hey, I, I'm two and a half times or two and a third times better than... I'm, he's trying to show his spirituality. <laughs> and Jesus comes back, no, nope, it's not seven times, 490 times. You know, it, it's not the number, whether it's 77 or 490. It's, it's this more ridiculous number than we could ever count. And then do you know what comes right after that? Is the parable of the unmerciful servant. Now, we just did parables. I'm not going to redo that one. Parable is unmerciful servant. We know this one. It's the one where the guy goes into the king, owes him like $30 million, and he can't pay, and the king wipes it away. And then he goes out and finds somebody who owes him 50 bucks and throws him in jail, and it's just, you know, we look at it, and we get angry at it. But that is the application there. He's saying, are you going to be the, the guy that understands what the king gave, that, how the king forgave, or are you going to be that unmerciful guy? Now, if we're going to talk about forgiveness, sometimes it's easier to for, figure out what it isn't. Forgiveness is not several things. I'm sure it's a lot of few things, but forgiveness is not excusing the offense. Now, a lot of us grew up with the shake hands and, all right, sorry, no big deal. No big deal. You know what? Yeah, yeah, it is a big deal. And we need to acknowledge that it's a big deal. And it's, it's hurtful. And forgiveness is not reconciliation without change. A lot of people say, oh, I just want to go back. Can't we go back to the way it was? Actually, no, you can't. You cannot go back without some change. You hearing me? There's got to be a behavioral change there. And you may disagree with me on this. That's totally fine. I do not believe forgiveness equates to relationship. You can forgive somebody and not be in relationship. You can forgive somebody that's dead. You can forgive somebody that's never asked for forgiveness and probably never will. And some of you are thinking of a face right now. You can forgive that person whether they ever ask for it, whether they ever acknowledge you, whether they deserve it or not. Because forgiveness is for you and me. And forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgive and forget. You won't find it. Forgetting what happened. How many of you saw 51st Dates? Um, uh, Drew Barrymore and Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler. Drew Barrymore has that. She forgets, you know, and we laugh, and it's really funny. And every day when she goes to sleep, she wakes up, and it all got erased. Honestly, there's some days that wouldn't be too bad to have a a problem to have, would it? Uh, Man, I would love to hit the reset button, just flush all that out. It didn't happen. I'm just back to where I was. But we're not that way. We were not built that way. Because, see, every time you've been hurt, something was taken from you. She ripped apart my workplace. He took my virtue from me. She stole my ability to kiss my kids goodnight. Something was taken from you. But forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a choice. It is a decision to forgive that debt. To not be that guy that's in the parable. It's to to not be the one that hangs on to the grudge. It is a choice, and I will guarantee you it is not natural to us. Amen? 
It is a choice that we cannot do without the Holy Spirit living in us. If you're going to try to go find a book and find a way, I'm going to forgive a nun, you're just going to work through it, guess what? You're not going to get there. It is only through the Holy Spirit coming into me. <sighs> All right, God, you've got to handle that because you've got to take authority on that. I keep trying to run it. You've got to handle that. You hearing me? How many of you ever were hurt on a playground? Okay. I mean, grow up hurt on playground, fall off the, uh, you know, we skin up our knees. As a kid, we fall and we get scraped up. And what do we do? How many of you grew up with the rub some dirt on it mentality? I'm a, uh, yeah, Rob, you know, put some leaves on it. You'll be all right. It's no big deal. Just, just get over it. What if I'm laying on the playground and my legs are going that way? Rub some dirt on it. You know. Not going to be a fun afternoon, all right? Eventually, rub some dirt on it is not going to work. You've been broken, okay? So, you gather up, you get in the car, you go to the hospital, they x-ray it, they reset it, it is broken, they put a cast on it, okay? This is how you, and then you limp around for six weeks of the cast on. But what happens, what happens if you leave that cast on for a year? Two years, five years. What happens to the muscles on there? Have you ever seen anybody pictures of somebody that had a cast on their leg for like six weeks, eight weeks, or something? And this leg is, you know, it's buff because they've been doing it on crutches like this. What is this leg? It's, it's called atrophy. Am I, is that the correct medical? All right. Now, it is atrophy. The muscles are damaged and they can't move on. Friends, I'm afraid we have missed this on forgiveness. That faith is a muscle that has to be exercised. It has to be used. And sometimes we fall, and sometimes we just got to rub some dirt on it and get on with life. One of the guys yesterday said, open up a can of man. Actually, I'm going to be using that phrase a lot lately. Uh, open up a can of man. You know, and and it's, it's sometimes we need to just rub some dirt on and get on with it. But sometimes we need some healing. And then we need to let that healing and let that cast go. I got a great book this week. I'm almost finished with it. It's just powerful. It's called The Coddling of the American Mind by a guy named Greg Lukanoff. It's an interesting take. Um, short version is he's, he's kind of following a lot of the, the children that are now in college that grew up with the participation trophy concept, you know what I'm saying? Everybody gets an A because we just all are, are good and everybody's good and everything's good and everybody's okay. And he goes on and it's just really powerful. He says, we have become intolerant of anything that causes us discomfort. He says this, if it's an uncomfortable, it must be bad and we don't want that. So we want a pill or a button or a something to make the pain, to make the hurt go away. So much so that some of these young people are, are now growing up and they can't function because they can't differentiate between real hurt and real pain and just everyday discomfort. They can't differentiate from the rub some dirt on it or put a cast on it. And it's, it's created what we call cancel culture. And we heard this phrase. Cancel culture. If somebody makes me uncomfortable, right or wrong, I'm, I'm scratching them off, right? And we begin to erase di discomfort. And we've become drunk with power. 
So we just want to erase anything that doesn't go my way and makes it go my way. Can I just tell you, I think in these two small verses, I think Jesus is trying to look us in the eye and be the tough doctor. Okay? Because the tough doctor is going to look you in the eye and say, Look, man, your leg is broken. <laughs> I don't care how much dirt, it's not going to get better. You're broken. We're going to put a cast on it. Everybody's going to sign it, and then we're going to move on. You're going to have to take that cast off eventually. Yes, you have been broken. There is something in you that is hurt. Let God heal it, and then take the cast off and get those muscles working again. You see, if you don't forgive, you are not going to heal. That leg is going to stay broken no matter how many casts you put on it. So he looks us in the eye and says, if you don't, he won't. And, and I know you're church people and you're good people, but I'm a pretty good person. Surely there is an out in there somewhere. I have read it and read it and read it. I cannot find a loophole. I cannot find any out on that statement. I started this out talking about collecting. And some of us are collecting way too many grudges. You hear me? I'm not picking on anybody. Now, let me say this too. Some of you might be sitting here going, Don, this doesn't apply to me. I don't do this. Great. If that's you, hallelujah. Praise God. Just sit tight for a few more minutes, okay? But there's somebody in here that needs to hear this. Somebody online needing to listen because the grudges are eating you alive. The bitterness is tearing you up. And you can't move past what she did. And you can't move past what he said. And that thing... Friends, yes, we have been hurt. And dirt, rubbing dirt on it won't fix it. We've got to acknowledge the hurt. And then we've got to give it under the authority of Jesus. And then we've got to take out that statement, I could never forgive them. Got to take it away. Because if I say that, you know what I've done? I have not given that to God. That hurts. That's ugly. I get it. Because some of you have dealt with some really, really bad stuff. But if I can't give it to God, then it is not going to get healed. So let go of that. Don't wallow in the hurt. The cast needs to come off. If you do not forgive, your Father will not forgive you. Super easy to understand. Amen? Very, very hard to do. It's tough. It's uncomfortable. It's a gut punch. God wants us healthy. God wants us healed. I don't want you hanging on to that. And I am speaking from my heart here because of what it has done to me and what it has done to some people that we know. And we try to find help in the bottle. And we try to find help in other ways. It's not going to get there until we give it to God. Come to the altar. He offers forgiveness. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. 
Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.